Hey everyone, this is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church and this is our weekly podcast. Hope it encourages you. Hope it makes you want to be closer to Jesus and more like him. Hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you want to know more about us, find us online at woodburnbaptist.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Everybody good? Are y'all good? Really good? Uh, it's cold outside, but it's warming up. Y'all, it's going to be 60 on Thursday. Welcome to Kentucky. Uh, 60, I know. I'm probably, I'm probably not even going to wear a shirt, y'all, on Thursday. It's going to be that. It's going to be that awesome around here. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 22. Did I just hear them say that we're going to have a prom king and queen? Like, what's up with that? Like, I was already excited. I actually bought my prom shoes yesterday. Uh, they're pre- I know, yeah, I don't, I don't mean to brag. I don't mean to braggy, but they're pretty awesome, y'all. Uh, these shoes will dance all by themselves. Uh, they will. And uh, I, I, I can't wait. But prom king, y'all. I mean, guys, just think about me. I mean, Travis, if you were prom king, Sherry will have to call you your highness for probably at least till the next, the next prom, your majesty. No? If he's king, you'll be queen, though. I guess. I don't know how any of this works, but uh, I can't wait. Don't forget to sign up, y'all. It really is. The, we don't have... Uh, we have limited capacity, and it's signing up pretty fast. So go to the link, sign up, and, uh, and don't, it's just going to be fun. I make it sound like all crazy, y'all, but we're, we're, a lot of us are kind of over, you know, staying out late and being crazy and all. So it, it'll be a sit-down dinner, which we'll, we'll drag out as long as we can. And we'll dance some, but y'all, yeah, like, we don't, we don't get jiggy with it long, you know. We'll be done, and uh, we'll all be home in bed by 930 uh, which I'm describing your perfect date now. I mean, just perfect date. Uh, that's, uh, that's all it's got to be. Proverbs chapter 22. I'm in the middle now of a sermon series entitled Money Talks because these sermons are talks about money, money talks. On top of that, uh, I'm reminding you that money is a spiritual category, a spiritual thing. And your money talks. It says a lot about your spiritual life. If someone were to look at your credit card statement, they could learn... Not everything, but almost everything about your priorities and, uh, and indeed your spiritual life. Jesus says where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Your heart follows the money. And so we have to draw against that as people of God and of those who want to trust the Lord to be our provider. So with that, uh, this morning, I just want to talk a bit about debt from Proverbs chapter 22 and Romans chapter 13, uh, debt. My first personal experience with debt, with being in debt and the misery of that was in seventh grade. Uh, I was a seventh grader at Rich Pond Elementary School. Uh, yeah. And uh, go Bulldogs. And uh, our, uh, in those days, our history teacher was uh, William, Bill Brookshire, William Brookshire. Anybody remember Mr. Brookshire? Did y'all have him? Uh, we'll, we can all talk later. Uh, so Mr. Brookshire. If those of you who don't know Mr. Brookshire, he was a thin, very thin man, brown hair, uh, little, real thin brown mustache, and he never smiled, not one time, ever. So one day in Mr. Brookshire's history class, uh, seventh grade, we were studying World War II, and Mr. Brookshire was walking through the rows uh, teaching, and he got to my desk, and he looked down, and he said, Harris... Where did you get that pen? My, my pen. Uh, 
Uh, I have to say, it, it was a striking thing. I, I was in seventh grade. Casey said not to tell you all this, but I, it was a fountain pen. I had a, I had a fountain pen in seventh grade, which Casey says makes me sound like a nerd. Uh, I think it makes me sound like Ricardo Montalban, you know, in seventh grade, you know, writing with a fountain pen. But anyway, so Mr. Brookshire is teaching and uh, he's walking down the rows and uh, I think some World War II, uh, he was in the middle of Paris falling to the Nazis and he just stopped and said, where did you get that pen? Um, Again, seventh grade, I was something of a stylophile. You know, I was impressed that he recognized a fine writing instrument. So I looked right back at him and said, Woolco. I got it at Woolco. And uh, Mr. Brookshire said, how much does a pen like that cost? I said, oh, $2. So Mr. Brookshire reached into his wallet. He took out two $1 bills, flopped them down on my desk and said, I want you to buy me a pen like that. Okay, well, he went on teaching back to World War II. I put his $2 in my pocket, and I never thought about his pen again. <laughs> I know, I know. Honestly, as far as I was concerned, it's like that transaction never happened. I mean, I just forgot. Uh, but as far as Mr. Brookshire was concerned, it happened. It happened. Uh, he didn't say a word about it for probably weeks. I think we were at the Battle of Midway before one day he... <laughs> was walking through the rows. He got to me and he said, Harris, where's my pen? And honestly, for the first few seconds, I'm like, what are you, like, I, I, I had no, like, I was so far, I had, I thought, did he lose something? I had no idea what he's talking about. And then it hit me, you know, like, I'm going to have to drop out of junior high. I mean, <laughs> this is not going to be good. I mean, it really was, it was just this horrible feeling because I'm thinking, oh my goodness, he gave me $2. I have no idea. To this day, I could guess. I have no idea where that $2 went. I have no idea. His $2 is gone. Uh, and I never bought him a pen. I'm, I mean, what am I? Like, I didn't volunteer for this job. I'm a kid. And all of a sudden, he's shaking me down every single day. You know, where's my pen? And my goodness, y'all, I, I, I didn't have a sixth grade education. I am not responsible. I mean, Mr. Brookshire, of all people, he knows my track record with homework. Why would he think I'm capable of this? I don't drive. I don't have a car. I can't just drive to Woolco. I don't have money, and I don't have his money either. I mean, I am broke, and I'm in trouble now. But it started now. I mean, Mr. Brookshire, every day, and it was terrible. I used to love school. I hated school now. Because every day was like an episode of The Sopranos, you know, where Mr. Brookshire is cracking his knuckles and, you know, and asking for his money. And I don't, ha I don't have his money, you know. He'd just stop in the middle of class and roar, Harris, my pen or my money? I mean, this is how it was in the old days, y'all. I mean, he could just yell. And he's just yelling. I'm just like, oh, my goodness. I mean, you know, it was terrible. It was terrible. I did not have his money. I did not have his pen. And it wasn't coming, you know. So somewhere about Iwo Jima, I uh, realized I've got to do something because I can't, I can't keep doing this. And so I went to Don Harris, my dad. Now, I know y'all think, oh, no, y'all. Um, it's, like, it's like Mr. Brookshire, Don Harris. I mean, they're about the same. Um, only my dad has to love me. And so, I mean, I'm not kidding. Getting... $2 out of Don Harris in 1977, mm, mm, not going to happen. Um, my dad, uh, and, and dad, I love you. It's the same today. I mean, 
Test him, y'all. When this, when this service is over, here it is. Service is over, ask him for $2 and see if you don't hear him tell you a story, because I know this. He's going to tell you he was raised poor, and he's going to tell you that back in high school, he had to play basketball for the school team, Woodburn School. He had to play basketball for Woodburn in a pair of work boots that were held together with hog rings. You're going to have to hear that story. And I knew I would hear that story, and I heard that story, you know. But then I cried a little, you know, and, and ultimately my dad had pity on me and gave me $2, which allowed me to go back to school and pay my debt. I paid Mr. Brookshire his $2, and, uh, and then I recovered my financial peace. <laughs> now, I know some of you find that story funny, but some of you know the misery of owing money, the misery of knowing that somebody has a debt, you know, and, and they're going to they're gonna come after you and you owe and you can't pay and it ain't coming. Some of you know the misery of that. And I want us to talk about that because that misery is very specifically something that the word of God wants to help you avoid. All right, and so we go to Proverbs chapter 22, just a single verse to get us started. I could have gone to any number of places, to be honest, because this is the consistent, the consistent word of Scripture when it comes to debt and borrowing. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7 says this, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Okay, do you understand what we're saying there? Just as the rich rule the poor. Now, we're reading the Proverbs, and understand Proverbs are a little bit different from other, other types of scripture you'll find in God's word. Proverbs are often observations from a very wise perspective. In other words, this we assume would be King Solomon, the wisest king who ever lived. And so Solomon is at this point simply describing how things are. It's an observation. It doesn't mean it's God's will. It's just how it is. And you're wise to recognize how it is. And so when he says the rich rule the poor, that's not saying that's what God intends. That's just saying, y'all, that's how the world is. And you, you probably will be better off to recognize that. Wisdom recognizes the way things are. The rich rule the poor. And also, notice this, the borrower is slave to the lender. Again, that's not God's will. You're not supposed to say, oh, well, good, you know, good. I'm glad to know where my place is. No, no. It's an observation from a perspective of wisdom, but that doesn't mean it's good. It doesn't mean it's God's will because it's specifically something that this passage and other verses are trying to steer you away from. In the wisdom of God's word, we are often told to avoid debt. You don't want to go into debt for the very simple reason that is given in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. Debt means a loss of freedom. It's, it's literally a loss of freedom. When you owe somebody something, now they have a power over you, and to some extent, you're going to have to serve them now. You work for them now. When you owe a debt and, and you have a lender who is hanging it over your head, you have your choices limited now, and the deeper you go into debt, the deeper you are enslaved to, to this money that you owe. God's word wants you to avoid that because debt means loss of freedom. 
It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, Scripture says. God wants us to live lives of freedom. We're not supposed to be slaves to anybody or anything. And debt is a kind of slavery. It's a kind of servitude. Just to define terms, I know y'all know, but let me just say, debt is owing money to anybody for any reason. That's what we're talking about. In a financial perspective, debt is owing money to anybody for any reason, and debt is something that Scripture tells us to avoid. I'm not saying it's a sin, because I don't believe Scripture teaches that it's a sin, but it is a danger, and it's something that we should all avoid. Debt is to be avoided. So if debt is owing money to anybody for any reason, I think we would all say, well, isn't that how the whole world goes around? Isn't that how everything works? I mean, we we borrow money. We borrow money for houses. We borrow money for clothes. We borrow money for to get our kids on the right travel ball team. We borrow money for cars. I mean, we just borrow. This is how everything seems to work. And you're right, our society, especially our economy, is very much, in many ways, based on the fact that people are going to go into debt. Uh, Debt is owing money to anybody for any reason. Most of the time, the way this works is, if I borrow money from a lending institution, a bank, or somebody, whatever, uh, most of the time, I'm going to set a deal with them where I will be paying it back in installments, paying it back in payments with interest. Now, the interest is the extra money that they charge me for the privilege of using their money. So in other words, I'm gonna pay back more than I borrowed, and that's how it works. That's just how it works. I'm not saying that's evil, I'm saying that's how it works. And a number of you work in banks and lending institutions, and you do God's work, and you help a lot of people, and I celebrate what you do. So so don't hear anything I say as if I'm saying that that's wrong. It's very much how the world works. However, there are absolutely people who aren't serving God and aren't trying to help you. I mean, do you understand that? We have a culture where debt is a product. I mean, it is for sale. There are people who make a lot of money off the debt of other people. And so commercial after commercial on television, I mean, if anybody says, what's in your wallet? <laughs> Understand, there's only one reason why they want to know. You know what I'm saying? What's in your wallet? Why do you think they care? Because they want it. And they will get it. And they're not necessarily your friend. Understand? I mean, they want what's in your wallet and what's in your wife's wallet, what's in your baby's wallet. And once they got it all, you'll be homeless and they don't care. Understand, it's how our culture works. It really depends in many, many ways upon debt. And there are people who make their living off of the indebtedness of others. And again, I'm not saying that those people are always evil, but I'm saying that for you and me to just accept debt as a way of life, that's foolish according to scripture. That's foolish. Debt is owing money to anybody for any reason. It is a loss of freedom. Proverbs chapter 22 verse seven says that the borrower is a slave. You're giving up freedom. And so the question becomes, why would you do that? Why would anybody give up their freedom and borrow their way into debt? Why would anybody do that? Well, the first answer is the obvious answer, because everybody does it. It just seems normal, and debt is normal in our society. People just have credit cards now, and and people argue with me and say, Pastor Jim, I think you got to have a credit card in this day and age. No, you don't. No, you don't. 
You don't. I haven't had a credit card in years. Case and I haven't had credit cards in years. You can live without a credit card. You can live well. There's actual some wisdom behind this, but again, it's not normal. I mean, everybody just assumes that this is normal now that everybody just lives and carries debt because everybody does it. And there is really no push in any direction for people to be better financial managers because we just feel like debt just allows us the freedom that we want. Whereas the scripture says debt doesn't bring you freedom, it brings you slavery. You'll be in bondage. Everybody does it though. Several years ago, there was a book, really interesting book called The Millionaire Next Door. Anybody read that? I read that. It's pretty good. Uh, it started out as a research project by researchers who wanted to discover the secrets of millionaires. In other words, people who manage in our, in our society, in our culture, in our economic system, people who manage to build wealth, what did they do? And could we imitate their example or follow their habits and therefore also be successful and build wealth? That was the nature. It's not a Christian book. That's just the book, The Millionaire Next Door. And so they began their research by going to millionaires and trying to interview them, gather data, observe their habits. So they went to places of affluence. And so they went to million dollar neighborhoods, gated communities, the places where the people have the fancy houses and the big cars and all of the signs of wealth and affluence. They went to those people and began to interview them and study them. And what do you think the first thing they found out was? They don't have any money. <laughs> the people who live in the trillion dollar house with the cars and they look like, man, these, are, these people look like they, they are so successful. They're not. That was the first revelation of the book that, that, that you look at the people that seem to have money and they don't have money. And in the book, The Millionaire Next Door, uh, it calls those people the pretenders. And basically is saying that most people in our society fall into that category. They're just pretending. Because credit is available and because they can borrow, they manage to live in a house that they cannot afford. They're living a lie. And they manage to drive cars that they cannot afford. You wouldn't know that. But that's their life. And, and it's all somehow that they're able to float this a while by just going into debt. But they're pretending. I think I said last week or the week before that anybody who pretends to be rich, but they're not rich, that's just stupid, you know? That's just stupid to try to live like you're rich when you're not rich, but a whole lot of people are doing that very thing. They want to look successful. They want to be impressive. They want to have what everybody else has, or they want to have what the Kardashians have, but they're not Kardashians. And so... And the millionaire next door, they uh, had to face the second question, where is if these people don't have the money, where is the money? If the people who look like they're rich aren't rich, then where are the millionaires in our society? And you know what they found? Okay, the book is called The Millionaire Next Door. So what do you think they found? Yeah, that the people in our culture who are really successful, the ones who have made it, the ones who are gathering and multiplying wealth, they're not necessarily the people walking around, you know, like they got money. They're not necessarily the people living in, in trillion dollar houses, driving brand new fancy cars. It's not necessarily those people at all. 
It's the people next door that have just learned how to live beneath their means. And they did that over time. And there's incredible power in that, just making wise financial decisions over time. And that's what they did. Most of these people had jobs that they loved. In other words, they they were living their life out of joy and out of a sense of purpose and not just trying to make money. They often had jobs that they loved and they stayed put doing what they loved, and they often bought a house and just made it their home and lived in it. In other words, they weren't flipping and flopping houses all the time. They just had a house and fell in love with it and stayed in it. You understand? And over time, those people managed to accumulate a a great deal of wealth. The the great secret was just that ability to live below your means. If if you make this much money, then you you spend this much money, and that means at the end of each month, man, you are basically accumulating wealth. There's nothing crazy or out of reach of any of us in those discoveries. Most people are pretending. Everybody wants to look like they're rich, but they're not rich. And you can't and shouldn't even try to pretend like you are. Just be content with what you have and and be thankful with what God gives you and make wise financial decisions over time. God's going to take really good care of you and and, and many of us will actually accumulate wealth over our lifetime. But it takes time, but not everybody waits. And that brings me to uh, answer number two. Why would you give up your freedom and borrow your way into debt? Well, let's be honest. Debt gives you what you want now. Debt gives you what you want now. Like, I don't have money for it, but I got a credit card. And they just sent me a platinum one. I didn't even ask for it, y'all. They upgraded me to platinum. They must love me. You know, is is that how that works? No, no, no. Debt gives you what you want now without waiting on God's timing and provision. And I think this is important. This is the real spiritual angle on this. God is my provider. Can't we all agree on that? God's my provider, and I, and I believe that God knows what's best for me. And if God hasn't provided for me to live in a, in a big house, then I'm going to live in the house I can afford. Now, I, I said that Casey and I don't borrow. We, we really don't. We borrowed for our house. I, I, think, I think that's justifiable. We borrowed money on our house, and we made house payments for years, um, the reason that seems wise to me is because our house went up in value over, the, over time. So right now, you know, our house is paid for, praise the Lord. Um, it is worth much more now than when we bought it. it you know, it, it increased in value. So that, that makes some sense. But while we had that debt, we were going after that like we were killing snakes, you know, because the Bible warns us away from debt and we didn't want to live our lives in, in debt. And so we went after that. I mean, and y'all got to know my wife. I mean, she's like focused. Um, There were a lot of months when we just voluntarily tightened our belts for no other reason other than to make an extra payment, you know? Um, I'm not bragging, y'all. I I think this is supposed to be normal. I just think it's supposed to be normal. Um, Can you even imagine not a life without payments? Like, you don't have to have a car payment. Do you understand that? You got to have a car. You do have to have a car, but you don't have to have a car that is a showpiece. You don't have to have a gigantic gas guzzling truck just because you want to feel like a big man. Get a car you can afford and don't go into debt for it. Cars go down in value the minute you drive off the lot. 
You know, why would you borrow money for something that its value is dropping like a stone? Just drive something that'll get you down the road that you can afford. Don't go into debt just to have something like that. Everybody else does it, I know, but trust the Lord. Drive that old car you got until the wheels fall off. It's fine. But Pastor Tim, I want seat warmers. I promise your, your, your booty's going to be just fine. I mean, you know, you, your granddaddy never imagined a seat warmer. He was fine. He was fine. You'll, you'll be fine. Um, just, again, I'm not saying you can't have things and can't want nice things, but trust the Lord. The Lord knows what you need, and he wants to bless you above and beyond more than you can imagine. Just trust him and, and trust his timing, like I said, we have young people these days who are, who are just so uh, unable to, to postpone you know, gratification. I mean, the word we use is instant gratification, right? And, and that's, what, that's where everybody's tied up, man. We want it what we want, and we want it now. Like, actually, we want it yesterday. Isn't it crazy? I, I've told y'all before, I, I confess my own sins too, y'all. I tell you, once I could track packages coming from Amazon, it ruined my life. Um, <laughs> Because, man, if I got something good coming, I, I, I need it now, you know. And so I'll fight. It'll ruin my whole day. I'll be like, why is it in Oklahoma? You know, why is it stuck in Oklahoma? Because you can see that it's stuck in Oklahoma. I'm, I, I want to call people in Oklahoma and say, could you go see if that's there and push it, you know, down there? I, I need it. Probably I don't. Y'all know Amazon in certain cities now is, is working with drones where like you could order something at breakfast and a drone from space would fly over and drop it in your backyard by lunch. And I'm thinking, why lunch, man? Well, can't they get that any faster? Can't that drone move a little quicker? You know, we want it now. It's instant gratification, man. We are not willing to wait. But man, throughout scripture, there is real wisdom and admonition giving for those of us who just learned to do what? Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. He knows what you need better than you know what you need. He knows where you live. He knows what time it is. And he is not going to let you down. So you wait on God's timing and provision. And we have to raise our children to be people of this kind of Christian character, this kind of self-control. All of these things are Christian virtues that our culture is not going to teach them. If we can't teach our children this, then our children are in trouble and are gonna be in debt. You learn money from your parents, whether they talk about it or not, you absorb it. Man, back to Don Harris, y'all. Dad's a great man. Uh, he really is. Uh, tighter than bark on a tree. Um, I can, and I absorbed that from him. Um, I remember one night, Daddy, we were going to Cracker Barrel to meet like aunts and uncles and cousins. I don't remember what the event was, but we were going to Cracker Barrel. And y'all, I don't know how, what your parents were like, but so we're in the... Kids are in the back seat, mom down in the front seat, and mom says, Don, you got any money? Dad says, I ain't got money. And that's all they said. And I'm a kid in the back seat, and I'm thinking, we're broke. We're broke. And we're going to Cracker Barrel. And I just thought, we can't afford to eat Cracker Barrel. Nobody's got money. This is awful. And so I walked in the restaurant, man, I was so anxious. I just felt so terrible because I'm like, we're, we, we can't afford to be here. So we sat down and everybody's ordering food and I'm looking, I'm thinking, man, we don't have any money. So I ordered like a cornbread muffin. 
a true, true story. Order a cornbread muffin and ask for jelly because that was free and I could just suck it out of the pack, you know. I did. I, I ordered that. So anyway, when it was all over, we got in the car going home and I start crying because I'm a kid. I'm so, I'm so hungry. I'm so, and dad's like, why didn't you eat? I said, like, because we're broke. We don't, have any, we don't have any money. And dad's like, the one time in his life he said, he said, we got money. Like I should have got that in writing. The, the, that could have helped me in college. But, but all I'm saying is, our children, just, they listen and they absorb these things, you know? And so all I ever heard, my mom and dad were both factory workers, y'all. We never had a lot of extra money. But dad that night was just saying, listen, we can go to Cracker Barrel once in a while. And he, you, you don't need to worry about that. Let me and your mom worry about that. You know what I'm saying? I needed to learn that kind of trust. And it's healthy when you can learn that. That conversation was kind of a disaster, but at the same time, at least we had a conversation and dad helped me learn that I could trust them. And um, I'm just saying, you're teaching your children all of the time. And what, what are they learning from you? You know, when y'all go on these vacations on the credit card and you're paying off last year's vacation while you're already on this year's vacation and don't you understand the hole you're digging yourself into? The Bible calls that slavery. And you're passing that on to your children. They, they watch you. They will learn money habits from you. And all I'm saying is debt gives you what you want now. And the whole world tells us that that's the way you live, man. If you want it, man, put it on your credit card and have it now. Why should you wait? I mean, nobody in the world is going to give your children better counsel than you. And so you have to learn these habits. You have to learn from God's word. And we have to live in a very countercultural way. The world's not going to encourage us to live as faithful stewards before God. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so, uh, one more verse. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. I'm almost done, you all. This is New Testament, the Apostle Paul talking. I think it's interesting to get his spin on this. What does he say? Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. I love that. Paul says, uh, don't be indebted to anybody except your debt to love them, you know, which is just awesome. But don't miss the first part because it's plain as the nose in your face. Paul says, owe nothing to anyone. Interestingly, the Greek word he uses there for nothing, it means nothing. Owe nothing to anyone, you are supposed to avoid debt, indebtedness. Again, it's not a sin. I'm just saying there's real danger in it, and the Bible over and over and over tries to encourage you away from it. Do not, do not go into debt. So a couple of things quickly. Say no to debt. Say no to debt. Become the kind of person who can trust the Lord and wait on the Lord's provision. Just say no to debt. You may have to wait for some things. You may have to say no to some things. You may never have some things, but I promise you, you will have everything you need from your father who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and who loves to give his children good gifts. He's a generous and wonderful provider. You are never going to be disappointed when you learn to trust the Lord and live within his boundaries. Understand me? Say no to debt. Number two, um, get out of debt and start today. Like some of you are like, well, too late, Pastor Tim, I'm already in debt. You know, and I, I know some of you are. Um, and I know you feel like you're trying. Um, I'm not a great money person. I don't, I don't do math really well in my head. Uh, but I do know that the average credit card interest rate right now, I think, is 24%. 24%. That, that means, you know, for every, every dollar, you know, you borrow, they're going to charge you 24% more to pay it back. And then that compounds. And so 
Some of you, you everybody says, oh, I pay my credit card off every month, but uh, statistics show that in the United States, most people don't. So if you're doing that, you're you're extraordinary exception to the rule. Most people just carry a balance that's getting bigger and bigger every single month. It it just gets worse. Uh, Many people, if they were to stop borrowing today and just start paying the minimum payment, uh, they wouldn't pay off their credit card debt from, they say, 24 to, for some people, 40 years. Minimum payment. In other words, some of you making the minimum payment on what you just owe today, if you never borrowed anything else, you'd be dead and still in debt. Like you're going to be dead. And then some of you are thinking, well, then I win. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I never paid them. Woo. You know, yeah, but you're still dead and broke. You know, you're still dead and broke. That's not bringing glory to God. Um, student loans, uh, this is, this seems to be rather new in our culture, but it's so pervasive. Uh, our young people, college students who find no other way to get to college except by borrowing, um, it's hard for me to imagine. Uh, right now, the average uh, graduate of college uh, who got student loans, the average loan debt for a, a, a new college graduate is like $38,000. $38,000, the average college student. My goodness, y'all. Uh, again, I know I'm an old man, but I can't imagine being 21 or 22. And I know that some of you are. This is, you, this is where you are. But I can't imagine being 21, 22 and already, already $40,000 in debt. Like before you get your first job, before you do anything else as an adult, you start out with an adult debt, which is really, really difficult. Um, As I counsel those young people, the hard thing is how often they, they, they begin to feel the weight of that I can't tell you how many young people now postpone marriage for the simple reason that they say they can't afford it because they have school loans. Like, again, if you're $38,000 in debt, you know, uh, good luck finding a husband, you know, who, want, who wants that. Not to mention the fact that he's going to have $40,000 worth of debt too, most likely. So you come in together in this hole. So many, many couples choose not to get married for the longest time because of their debt. And then young couples, they can't afford to buy a home because their combined school debt would buy a house. And so their choices are limited and their life is limited and that's exactly why Proverbs chapter 22 verse seven says, the borrower is a slave to the lender. I'm not saying uh, they own you, um, but you've certainly given up some of your freedom to them. And I'm not sure that's what God intended. I think he wants you to be free and at peace financially in every other way. But I think that I would be failing you as a minister of the gospel if I didn't just point out something obvious. And that is simply that um, whether or not you understand it or not, the problem behind all of your problems is sin. Now that's just the truth of scripture too. The problem behind all of your problems is sin, which means the problem behind your financial problems, you can draw a straight line connecting dots back from your debt to something to do with your sin. The problem behind all of our problems is sin. And and when Proverbs says that, you know, debt will lead you into a kind of slavery, it's not just debt. There's so many ways in which our sin will enslave us. 
I mean, the fact of the matter is, Scripture says that uh, all of us have sinned. I mean, we all sin. We don't sin in the same ways. Your sin may not look exactly like my sin, but make no mistake, I am a sinner, same as you. We're all sinners. That's what Scripture says. Scripture goes on to say that the wages of sin is death, which is an amazing turn of a phrase. Wages are what you earn at work, right? And so what you earn because of your sin is death. It's your wages. That's what you've got coming to you. Wages of sin is death, which means you already standing here outside of Christ, you have this incredible spiritual debt. It is your sin debt, and you are never going to be able to pay it on your own. You can't. You can't. You're already guilty, already condemned. And you live under a kind of curse, according to Scripture. And one of the minor prophets, he says that that curse takes the form of it. He says it's like you, you, you get money and you put that money in a pocket with holes in it. That's from the Old Testament. Put your money in a pocket with holes in it. And that's how some of you live. You're like me getting $2 from Mr. Brooks. And I can't tell you where that went. No idea. Pretty good idea. You know, I ate it. Pretty good idea. I rode my bike to the store and bought candy. You know, $2. I don't know for sure, but that's about all I was buying in those days. I would say, but the point is, I don't even know. I had $2 and then $2 was gone. And some of your life, if I gave you $1,000 today, you'd be broke by tomorrow. And you couldn't even tell me where it went. You know, it just goes. And, and that's life under the curse. No matter what gifts God gives you, no matter what advantage, what opportunity, no matter what blessings he gives you, it's just like you put all the good things in a pocket with holes in it and, and you can't hold on to any of it. Nothing stays in your fingers Never been able to make a marriage work. How many times have you been married? How many times have you tried to start over with your children and you just keep on making all the same mistakes? Don't you understand? There's a kind of curse you're living under. It's because of your sin and nothing's gonna be right in your life until you get right with the God who made you. And that's the good news that God who looked and saw this sin debt that you owed, he was not willing that any of us should perish in that way. And so he sent his son, Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin itself so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. So Jesus comes and he dies in your place. If the wages of sin is death, somebody's got to die. He's not willing that that be you. He died for you. That's the good news. He pays this debt for you. Your sin forgiven, your whole life made new, but then you got to want that. Everything necessary for your salvation, he does. There's nothing you can add to it, but you got to want it. You have to step into it. And that's where some of you are. You're so stubborn. You're so determined to prove the gospel wrong. You're so determined to do this on your own. You're so determined to be the exception to all this. And I'm telling you, you're not the exception to any of this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You have to believe, not just with your head, but with your life. You have to step into this thing and want this thing. It's what we mean by salvation or when we talk about becoming a Christian, that's what we mean. Uh, just acknowledging your sin and your inability to change yourself or save yourself. You need a savior. I'm here to tell you that Savior is Jesus. When you put all the mess of your life in his hands, I'm telling you, in his hands, things come back together. He's able to give you a life that is joyful and abundant and so full of peace. 
So, so we start the sermon talking about your money and how many of us live these broken financial lives, but it's never for most of us just our money. Our lives are broken in so many different ways. And our lives raise so many questions and so many problems. I'm just here to tell you that Jesus is the answer to all of them. Your financial problems, your financial brokenness, your relational brokenness, you're not really created to live this life of bondage to debt, to sin, to anything. You're created to live a joyful and abundant life of freedom and peace before the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want that peace, you could have it today. All you have to do is turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. Pray with me.